Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board for this week's show. And a big welcome to my special co-host tonight, Josh Shimizu, on Twitter at the Mayor of Shimtown. Or is it just Mayor of Shimtown, Josh? <laughs> I was getting it's the... just Mayor of Shimtown. <laughs> there you go. I, I almost got it right. Uh, but uh, welcome aboard. And uh, of course, Josh is my fellow co-contributor on the TWAD. And Josh, would just uh, take a second to explain to everybody what a TWAD is, because people want to know. <laughs> well, it's just a mixture of a, a podcast and uh, Twitter. It kind of came up. I mean, Twadcast isn't a new concept, but um, as I looked over the hashtag, <clears throat> I didn't find a lot of Twadcasts going on. In fact, probably the the, the latest Twadcast that happened was probably a couple of years ago. Okay. So um, as uh, a couple of us had been already doing, we decided to kind of formalize it and uh, give it a name. And the, and the name that we came up with was made up by uh, one of our friends, Dan who is uh, Formula D, at Formula D on Twitter. And uh, he just started calling it the TWAD because a lot of people call podcasts, like, you know, we're, we're doing the pod tonight or we're, they just call it a pod. So yep. uh, we decided to come up with, with the TWAD. That's very cool. And if you wanted to give the TWAD a follow, very easy. It's at the TWAD. And there's usually some discussion on Formula One or indie cars or sometimes something completely random. So give us a follow and join in. That's always a good discussion. And uh, we'd love to have you. So moving along, Josh. Wow, what uh, an exciting Grand Prix and an unexpected turn of events at uh, Hockenheim over the weekend. Uh, there are so many different things uh, to talk about. But before we talk talk about, I guess we could call it an exciting and also somewhat controversial race with some of the things that uh, happened uh, later on. We'll get into that. But let's talk first about qualifying briefly. And the big talking point, of course, was Lewis Hamilton uh, going out in uh, during, uh, what was it, Q2, I think it was. Uh, he had a hydraulic mm -hmm. problem, ran wide going into turn one, came back over the curbs very, very really hard i mean uh, he caught air yeah but there was a lot of air underneath but i think it's safe to say that you don't see lewis hamilton run that wide on a corner unless there's a, a problem i mean everybody uses the curbs but uh, I, I think uh, he was rather critical about uh, nico rosberg of course his uh, former teammate apparently the hate for nico was still <laughs> real but uh, <laughs> he did have too many flattering things to say about nick uh, nico after the uh, qualifying nico said that 
He thought uh, the the problems called or caused after Lewis uh, hit the curb at the the exit of the corner there, and I think it's a mm-hmm. bit of a combination of both. I think the the problem was already manifesting itself, and then just nailing the curb that the way that he did, just I think uh, I think it just exacerbated the problem that was uh, already there. But we didn't or we don't see Lewis Hamilton that far down in the order on the grid very often now, do we? No, we don't. Uh, in fact, it was kind of interesting to see uh, that that happened. And of course, it was mechanical, so it's not really his fault. Uh, it all depends on when it happened. I mean, he said it happened before that incident, uh, that they had the, hydro- the hydraulic issues. But um, one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is that after that, <clears throat> and he got out of his car, and he kind of had that dramatic moment where he hunched down next to his car. And uh, it was funny how Nico Rosberg is still kind of screwing with his old teammate <laughs> when he says, you know, I've never seen him that way. I've never seen him. There must be something different going on right now. Well, that, that was quite, kind of a, an interesting moment because, uh, of course, Lewis did try to uh, push the car back to the pits because if he managed to get it right. back to the pits, he uh, wouldn't have been eliminated from, from qualifying. He could go on. And he did say uh, afterwards that uh, it was a, a lot further than he thought. And you could tell he was pushing and then Marshall came along to help him out. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's, so you can see him, he's like, oh, bleep. You can almost read right. it on his lips through his helmet. And then, but like you say, when they, they push the car off the track, just behind the wall there, just that that whole moment where he was crouched down, uh, leaning up against, <clears throat> excuse me, the side of the cockpit there, you know, leaning his helmet on on the monocoque there. Right. Very unusual body language uh, from from Lewis Hamilton, and I think it just goes to show like how jacked up he he really was. Because I mean, the last two races in Austria and Great Britain really haven't gone Lewis's and uh, and and Mercedes way. Exactly. That's the great thing about the championship right now is that we have two drivers. Well, I think yeah, two drivers that are so close together, and they're actually switching places every you know two or three races. And uh, when that happens, I think that the pressure really does uh, increase on both drivers. In fact, you know when Vettel uh, uh, crashed out during the race, not to you know get ahead of ourselves, but to, to get ahead of ourselves. When uh, Vettel crashed out of the race, you could just hear the emotion in his voice. Um, you know, I, I, it sounded like he was crying. Yeah, and it, I, I think it's really interesting the point uh, that that you raise here because. I mean, everybody knows that since 2014, it's it's basically been Mercedes party in, in, in Formula One. They've completely dominated. Last year, we saw a little bit of a uh, a turn in the tides. Uh, Ferrari, of course, were able to, to win some races. Red Bull were able to win, win some races. But it was nowhere, nowhere near as close as we've seen through the first half of, uh, of 2018. I mean, exactly. it, it's it's been very, very uh, interesting to watch, just not only the way that Hamilton and Vettel have been uh, trading wins back and forth, but just how the Red Bull boys have uh, here and there been able to to, to throw the, a, a wrench into the works, if you want to call it that, and, and win a couple of races here and there just to, to make the championship really interesting. But I think it really goes to show just how Ferrari has really narrowed that gap. And I don't really think that there is that much difference between the Ferrari and the Mercedes. Now, Toto Wolff was saying over the weekend is that he believes that uh, they're losing, I think it was five-tenths uh, of a second on the straights to the Ferrari. But 
yeah, again line speed. in straight line speed. But you, you see that just any one of these cars, we saw how in Monaco that that was Red Bull's party, <laughs> and just yeah. how how they, uh, regardless of what happened to, to Max crashing out in in free practice and starting from the back of the grid. But I mean, Ricardo even before he had the problem with his uh, with his engine, I mean, he was just dominating. I mean smashing the lap record left right and center and then we've seen at different tracks and on different weekends just how each one of these cars can be better suited to whichever circuit it is than uh, than the other mm-hmm. exactly and i think that's you know <clears throat> so it makes it uh, exciting uh, i'm not a big a huge fan of the look of the cars i'm not a huge fan of some of the things that mm-hmm. race control do uh but by and by and large uh you know the, the drivers are giving us what we want um uh, there are battles <clears throat> in the midfield, um, and and uh, um, I think that um, it's just it's just good to have uh, you know just just good battles in between uh, you know the lower the lower teams and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, uh, it, it really says a lot, even though, like you say, I mean, I, I like the general look of the cars that they, they introduced with the new regs that came out last year, but I, I've tried as much as I can to get used to, <laughs> get used to the halo. And I, I know that we've seen a couple of instances this year already where it's probably uh, done its job. I'm thinking uh, specifically Brendan Hartley and Lance Stroll uh, on the opening lap, the Canadian Grand Prix uh, a month or so ago when they had that opening lap uh, crash. But it still distracts for me every once in a while. It's just like, yeah, I think it really spoils the line of the car, but hey, I guess that's, that's modern Grand Prix racing. But I do think that they are a, they look better than the cars did previously in the first couple of years of, of the hybrid turbo era. But still, I, I kind of look back maybe 10 years or so, um, maybe even the early 2000s. I think the cars were a, a lot sleeker, a lot more, I don't know, I think they're more, more aesthetically pleasing uh, than they are now. But at least there's no shark fins and uh, to a certain extent. <laughs> and and well, T-wings you know, and maybe in the Yeah, maybe in the future they'll actually uh, allow some of the teams and the engineers to be a little bit more creative. Right now, it seems like they're going through a phase that uh, that's a little more simplistic, um, a little bit more streamlined. But uh, you know, I'm not I'm not against winglets. I'm not against uh, you know little gadgets and stuff like that. In fact, uh, you know, every once in a while this this comes uh, comes up is the uh, the whole active suspension. Uh, debate. Uh, I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but it would be interesting to see that come back. Yeah, that was a, a fantastic, uh, amazing piece of te- uh, technology, and I've I've tweeted out a GIF of the what was it the the Williams FW fifteen B or whatever it was or the C right from nineteen ninety two nineteen ninety three. I mean, uh, I, I think that's about as close that they ever came to giving a Formula One car life. <laughs> if you want to like exaggerate exactly. that far, I mean, if you see the car, just how it uh, it reacted, it's just a, a picture of the car in uh, in the garage, and you can just <laughs> see how it's going up and down. It's it was an amazing piece of tech technology even more the the amazing that it uh, came out over 25 years ago so imagine what they they could do with it now but uh, let's let's get back to the uh, to the german right. grand prix so we we had obviously that uh, that that big moment uh, with uh, lewis hamilton but still when, when we had uh, the the grid uh, lining up for the the race on uh, sunday we had sebastian vettel on pole valtteri botas on uh, uh, second place kimi raikkonen max verstappen on row two uh, kevin magnus and Roman Grosjean, Haas, I thought very impressive uh, with a with a, a third row lockout, if you want to call yeah. it that. And then uh, also, I thought also equally impressive uh, in qualifying, at least, was uh, Hulkenberg and Sainz on row four for Renault. 
And then I, I think that the driver of the year so far, or at least obviously the rookie of the year by a mile, and that would be Charles Leclerc in ninth, and then Sergio Perez in 10th for Force India, which, you know, honestly was a, a bit of a rare occurrence to see a, a Force India as high up um, as 10th in qualifying. They they haven't really been, I mean, they've been a, a solid midfield team for years, and I think they've had a, a pretty good claim on uh, best of the rest, but I think that the, the, the problems that uh, VJ Malaya has been having uh, with his businesses and his personal life and everything, I think that the team has uh, suffered uh, because of that. And they were just saying uh, even the other day that there's just, you know, they're just not financially able to, to keep up. And uh, we're, we're definitely seeing it there. And then just uh, finally in uh, 11th and 12th was uh, Fernando Alonso and McLaren. And uh, then in 12th position, Sergei Sorotkin in, uh, I think, a, a very good performance in qualifying for Williams. And we've talked all about Williams this year, haven't we? Oh, yeah. And it's interesting. I think it's actually more interesting to see that uh, Lance Stroll was in 17th. Yeah. That he qualified in 17th. He was five below that. I'm just wondering why that's the case. Uh, I'm not sure if I've seen anything or read anything about that, but uh, it's interesting to, to note. Yeah, there was quite a bit of a difference uh, between the, the the two of them. And, you know, through the first half of the season, most of the races, I mean, they've just been, it seems every weekend they've been going or qualifying further and further down <laughs> through the pack and usually right at the bottom. So to, to see uh, Sorotkin as high up as uh, 12th in qualifying was uh, was very mm-hmm. different. And, of course, there was a, a rumor floating around uh, earlier tonight, so which is a Tuesday or today on Tuesday, which is coming from uh, DeBilt in uh, Germany. And apparently, Lauren Stroll, a.k.a. Lance's dad, a.k.a. one of the richest dudes on the face of the planet, uh, huh. has bought the aforementioned uh, Force India. That is an interesting development, if true. Right, Josh? It is. Um, I... For me, it came out of left field because I wasn't following it that much. But um, if it happens, I'm I'm all for it. I think, uh, as you mentioned before, VJ Malia had some issues, uh, you know, legal issues back in India and uh, wasn't able to leave uh, the UK, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm wondering if that had uh, a major role in him not being able to get uh, more funding for the future. That's an excellent point uh, that that you raise. I mean, this team needs something. Obviously, they've been sort of sliding down, not as sharply as Williams, obviously, over the past couple of years, but from where they were, even as recently, say, last year, definitely uh, two years ago in, uh, in 2016. They're, they're really not quite uh, the, the same as they were. And uh, the, the team needs something. They, they need a, a breath of fresh air or a fresh injection of funds or investors or a new team principal, or maybe not team principal, but maybe a, a new ownership is what the team needs to move forward. Yeah, I'm excited about uh, Lawrence Stroll. He seems to be a sharp guy, uh, somebody who could uh, infuse some energy into the, into the team uh, and, and you know, specifically money into the team. And uh, if he does that, I think, um, you know, I'm excited to see what can happen with Force India. Yeah, because the, this- or whatever or whatever it's going to be called in the, in the future. I mean, I've <laughs> uh, I've been reading on Reddit. They have a a, a thread about uh, what they're going to name the team, and I think the consensus is probably something like Force Canada or something like that. Yeah, that would be kind of interesting. But I know even like, uh, I think it was about this time last year, there were several names that were, were trademarked or registered in the UK, uh, in regards oh. to Force India. I can't even remember what the, what the, what the names were. So where that. Force One. Yes, that's correct. Force yeah, One Force was one. one of them. That yeah. was the only one I remember. Yeah, that's correct. 
So what that has to do with uh, with Force India or the the new team moving forward, uh, that remains to to be seen. But I'm not sure. I know that uh, that that Lawrence Stroll. I, I believe that one of the companies he owns is Michael Kors, which is a, a well known uh, mm-hmm. fashion brand. And I'm not sure if he owns Tommy Hilfiger as well. He could do, which would be kind of Jeez. interesting uh, because, as we know, Tommy Hilfiger, a very prominent sponsor of Mercedes, and you know that's exactly yeah. It, it, and for any other designer, you know, brands or designers out there, that's about as limited as my <laughs> my knowledge <laughs> as a dude goes. So <laughs> I'm going to claim ignorance uh, on the rest. But yeah, so uh, definitely that would be a, an interesting, interesting uh, development. And uh, I think it's kind of interesting as well to see how the the, the best of the rest is. Uh, really uh, shaping up i think that we've seen a real do you think it's safe to say a bit of stabilization uh at least in qualifying from from the Haas boys over the past say two three races maybe even four probably the last two races um before that it just seemed to be uh quite uh uneven but um i'm hoping they've turned a corner because uh you know most of the headlines have been stolen by roman roman grosjean for all the wrong reasons had, right for all the wrong reasons yeah. And uh, I'm hoping the results, the results, you know, uh, this last race is kind of turning turning a corner. But uh, we'll see. I guess only time will tell. Yeah, well, it's interesting because if you look at the uh, the, the drivers' championship, uh, K Mag is in uh, ninth position with 39 points, and then you look at uh, uh, Rogro; he's uh, currently 13th uh, with uh, with 20 points. But I think even as recent as uh, Austria, I don't think Rojan had a single point in, in the championship just because of all of his uh, misadventures often on the track and you know exactly. all the problems he was having through his own faults and and not of his uh you know his own doing. So I think it's uh, good to see that uh, they're starting to maybe live up to uh, what what I think was a real tease at the beginning of the year in Australia. I think that they really, I mean, for me, certainly, they really surprised uh, the the pace that they had in qualifying, the pace that they had to start the race. And then, of course, they had that uh, double, uh, I don't even know what to call it. I call it a moment, but where they, they both, uh, or both the cars were had their, their tires misfitted during the, uh, during the pit stop, and exactly. both of them came to a crawling halts just basically at the end of the pit lane and they really struggled after that but it was uh, it was k-mag that really sort of settled down a lot sooner than uh, than grosjean and i mean uh, grosjean i mean it's good to see that he's doing doing something positive now because i mean I, i've been pretty critical of him and i think a lot of people being uh, critical of him i mean uh, he's kind of one of these guys that when he's hot he's doing pretty good but when he go- blows cold he is ice cold <laughs> Yeah, it's just a, it's a kind of a comedy of errors, basically, with Grosjean. When I'm looking at K, K Mag right now, he's 39, he's got 39 points and Fernando Alonso has 40 points. It doesn't seem like Fernando Alonso is going to be, uh, I don't know what's up with that McLaren, but I, I, I can see Ke, Kevin Magnuson uh, mm-hmm. progressing and, uh, we've got Nico Hulkenberg that has 52 points. But if K, you know, Kev, Kevin Magnuson remains on his trajectory, I mean, he could be the best of the rest. Yeah, which would uh, be, uh, I think, a, a really good uh, achievement for the guy because obviously I think that uh, he ended up at uh, Haas uh, maybe after being uh, bounced around a little bit uh, in Formula One. But it seems that he's found uh, like, a team that really fits his personality. Exactly. And I, know maybe, I don't know if that's the difference maybe in the culture between, say, a European team and an American team. I mean, he seems to me a bit of a like a, a relaxed, laid back guy, kind of with a bit of an attitude. So, you know, maybe well, he's got some, 
He's got stability now. He yeah. has stability in Haas. Um, uh, Gunther Steiner is a great team boss because he he actually protects his drivers. He really does. I mean, just watch uh, Grosjean. Uh, he's he's had so much criticism and uh, and uh, and so many hardships, but he still kind of believes in him. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think with Kevin Magnuson, he uh, had uh, he uh, remarked at one point that he really liked Haas because. Uh, there weren't as many, I guess, sponsor, sponsor, uh, events or whatever that he had to go to that they could really just concentrate mostly on racing. And so, um, even though he's talked about, you know, well, this is a good step in the right direction with Haas. I think if he stays there, I, I, I think sky's the limit with him. I don't think he should move on. No, I think he's in a in a good spot right there. And uh, who who knows? I know that uh, that Haas they've been, you know, at least what they've been saying publicly is that they they know where they kind of want to get to, but they're kind of I think really managing the growth and the size of the team to say to go from I'm not sure exactly how many people they have working for the team right now. Let, let's just say throw a number out there, say it's a uh, 150. They know that they want to get to say 300 or 400 people, but they're not going to expand to that number between say the end of this season and the. Beginning beginning of next there's there is like this measured plan this measured kind of growth that they that they want to to implement in over the the, the next couple of years and honestly i think that's a smart way to do it because there to me that signals a team that is taking this seriously that they're here for the long run and they're, they're not just going to to come in just throw a ton of money and basically throw something in the wall and see what sticks so uh, hopefully that uh, this uh what i guess you could call planned growth is uh, going to, to work out for them uh in the long run. Yeah. If you look at, uh, uh, Sauber, they're kind of in the same boat. They're kind of the surprise of the year. Um, yes. even in, in, uh, qualifying Marcus Erickson was 13th. Yep. That's better than Esteban Ocon. Um, well, anyhow, that's pretty much everybody else was, uh, either down because of, uh, grid penalties or, you know, they were, uh, Toro Rosso, but, um, but that's, uh, I think that's the, the most impressive thing is that <clears throat> they're kind of like the Haas uh, of 2016 or 2015 or whatever when they kind of surprised the grid by how good they were doing. So yeah. Zauber's the same way this year. Yeah, the, when when Haas came into uh, into Formula One, that's right, that, that that first, what was it, about three or four races, I think they really punched above their weight, and then mm-hmm. I think uh, reality <laughs> quickly yeah, set in the, thereafter. But definitely, I think it, it is, uh, you know, I mean, he is, like you say, there were guys there that uh, had penalties, but he was ahead of Ocon, he was ahead of Hartley, he was ahead of, ahead of Stroll, he was ahead of uh, Van Dorn. And, uh, you know, be that as it may, uh, yeah, sure, he helped, uh, you know, there was a Ricardo and Gasly that uh, incurred penalties that were at the back of the grid. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even up until like last year, and of course, they had the uh, the 2016 spec engine in last year, and that just wasn't designed to go into these modern uh, these modern cars. I mean, we saw basically every, every race, sure, we had basically a uh, Mercedes front row lockout, but we also had a Sauber <laughs> rear row, last row lockout as well, if you want to call it that. 
that uh, with with Pascal Verlein and uh, and Marcus Erickson. But I, I think that um, that uh, Charles Leclerc obviously has found a way to to make that car work. I mean, I was impressed the first time that he got that car into Q3. We'd seen Verlein do similar things occasionally last year, maybe uh, especially in qualifying, get it a little bit further up than maybe most people uh, expected. But uh, this year, Leclerc has done that on uh, on a regular basis. And I think that uh, maybe that's uh, motivating Ericsson uh, as well. And, you know, th- that's a good thing because uh, they're saying that uh, that they want to be fourth in the world championship next year. So that means basically behind Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull, whatever order they finish in in 2019, they want to be that best of the rest team. So they're going to have to be up there next year, basically fighting it out with the likes of uh, Haas F1 and, and Renault, who clearly are, are fighting for that uh, spot right now. And uh, we, we can talk about that a little bit later. But uh, Vettel was saying that uh, earlier this week that he des- definitely or doesn't necessarily think that uh, that they have to rush Charles Leclerc up to Ferrari right away. So that uh, I think is, uh, you know, or for next year at any rate, which I, I think is uh, interesting. I mean, uh, so so what would they do? Maybe give Kimmy, a, like a, if, if that's what Seb wants, give Kimmy another one-year uh, deal and then just maybe call it that and get uh, Charles into the Ferrari, into the into the big team for 2020. You know, I guess it uh, depends because <laughs> there seems to be a lot of opinions on, on this topic. How boring, Mark. How boring. <laughs> I know, but the thing is, right, that uh, that uh, yeah. the Ferrari is typically, I mean, in their history, they've never given a young driver a uh, an opportunity like that. So, you know, where, where Vettel is coming from, is he th- feeling threatened by, a, 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 you know, one of the youngins? <laughs> well, he always, sa- he always says he's not threatened, but, uh, yeah. you know, the, the uh, what do you call it, the spotlight is on, on Leclerc at the moment. So, I don't know, you may be right. Yeah, if I, I don't know, I I could see a case both for and uh, against putting Charles in uh, in the Ferrari and also keeping him for a, another year at uh, at Sauber, especially if they can actually get more performance and improve that car next year. It might be uh, another uh, an, another season to really I don't know uh, develop really sharpen his skills in, in in Formula One rather than maybe throw him into Ferrari and all the pressure and into the fishbowl that that uh, that that team is. Well, let me right ask away. you this. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> I've heard that before <clears throat> that if he goes up there he's going to be get swallowed up yep. by Ferrari. What what does that mean? What what is it about the culture there at Ferrari that would swallow him up in your opinion? Well, that well, I guess it's uh, it would be more reputation, right? I mean, the the expectations. I mean, the most fo- famous race team in the entire world, uh, let alone uh, Formula One, right? So, I mean, uh, I think what the expectations, or at least that, that what I'm looking at right now, is he would have to do better than than Kimi Raikkonen is doing oh. currently, because I think that that Kimi has quite often over the past couple of years just hasn't quite delivered uh, quite enough. I mean, there was a, a, in Canada when he was very very good in qualifying and then you know botched his hot lap in q3 and this mm-hmm. this past weekend same sort of thing he ran wide in the final corner he ended up uh, p3 so instead of having a a front row lockout for ferrari you know then now lewis or sorry not lewis uh vettel has uh, valtteri botas hanging off of his uh his exhaust pipe so i think he's basically there to basically help in the championship in the constructors but also to right. run a little bit of uh, interference if you want you know make life tough for lewis hamilton and and uh, and Valtteri Bottas if he gets between Sebastian Vettel and one of the Silver Arrows. So I think that's, yeah. 
Go ahead. Essentially, essentially a support driver. Basically, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we saw perfectly uh, the the example the, uh, at Hockenheim on the weekend, exactly the position of Valtteri Bottas and Kimi Raikkonen within Ferrari and Mercedes. I mean, both basically were given the team orders to to move over for Sebastian Vettel and uh, and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I, I mean, and that's what you would expect. Uh, both of them are, are scrapping it out at the top of the the World Championship. So, yeah, I think that he'd have to be a, a support driver. Like like you say, and I think he'd have to be pretty consistent. So, I mean, we know the guy's fast and we know the guy's mm-hmm. talented. Whether he could do that in like on a consistent basis for Ferrari, uh, that's that's well, that's a $64,000 question. And I guess only those that are that are closest to him, you know, either at Sauber or at Ferrari, I mean, they know him there. Obviously, he's gone through their young drivers program, would know whether or not uh, Charles is uh, is ready for, for the big time. <laughs> well, the bi- the bigger time, yeah, I mean, the he's, already, time. Yeah, he's already in the big time racing in Formula One. It just gets bigger depending uh, which team uh, you're racing for. But in- yeah, to me, he's uh, to me he seems like a pretty level headed kid. Yeah, uh, I don't know him personally, but um, if they if they put him into that uh, into that role as a second driver at Ferrari, um, I don't. I just don't get the sense that he would kind of lose it. You know. Uh, it seems like his character is pretty pretty solid at the, at this point. Um, yeah, he's barring very mature. any yeah, right, barring any like you know uh, uh, drug addictions or whatever you <laughs> want to call them. Um, I I'd have full faith in him. I wonder if Ferrari does as well. Yeah, I mean, for a guy that's what he's he's twenty, right? I, I believe he's twenty years right. old. I mean, right. he, he's he's not over twenty. Let's put it that way. Uh, I mean, he seems very very mature for a guy of that age. And I mean, just well, take a look at what most of us were doing when we were twenty, and uh, just a uh, well, the maturity level alone, I think, sets us up. Most of us. Well, I'll, I'll put myself into into that category. I won't <laughs> necessarily paint you with that uh, brush, Josh. But no, let's uh, not talk about me at twenty. <laughs> let's not talk about any of us at uh, twenty. But uh, yeah. be definitely uh, fascinating to to see. But uh, the the race itself. Now, I think uh, was uh, I guess it sort of unfolded like we expected. Uh, I mean, as we saw Ferrari very very quick again in qualifying. I thought that uh, at the start of the race, um, Botas had a bit of a better start than uh, than Vettel, but Vettel had just enough speed to really keep his uh, himself in front, especially going into that uh, that first corner. And it was basically those three cars, and then Max Verstappen in P four. Just kind of running off down the road, and and Max soon lost touch, and then uh, well, Lewis. I think Lewis did a, a very good job of carving his way through the field. I thought that he was a uh, <laughs> very understated on uh, on Saturday when he was interviewed after qualifying. I think he said, "Well, this is the the track that is basically one of the worst to overtake on," but he certainly proved quite the opposite uh, during the race itself. I mean, he was all right. the way up uh, to, to fifth, uh, it seemed, in very quick order. But it was funny, too, I thought, uh, with, with the pit stops, uh, what with the, uh, the the front runners going with the ultra softs, Lewis going for the uh, for the softs, and Danny mm-hmm. Ricardo at the back, uh, of course. So we, I expected him to uh, cut his way through the field a lot quicker than he did, but I just don't think he could get a, enough temperature and grip into those tires uh, compared to, to, say, Lewis that was really slicing his way through the pack uh, quite quickly obviously ricardo retired uh, halfway through the race for the well second time in three races we saw that happen uh, a couple of weeks ago in austria and a uh, mm-hmm. similar kind of issue the, this past weekend but ferrari trying to fake out uh, uh, i think mercedes to a certain extent bringing in uh, kimi raikkonen quite early on 
uh, right. for his first uh, pit stop. I don't know if that was planned. I don't know if Kimmy had any issues with uh, with graining or blistering, or he had some sort of uh, issue with the set of tires that he had. But if that if that was what they were trying, that uh, certainly was a tactic that did not work. Nope, didn't at all. Uh, I was uh, very impressed with Lewis Hamilton's uh, drive, uh, mainly for one reason: is the way that he uh, was able to. Um, uh, he was able to preserve his tires. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a huge stint on those softs. And I think uh, eventually that would have won in the race anyway. I mean, not won in the race, but it would have uh, helped him to get to the front and, uh, and fight for the, for the lead in the race. Even, even though the rain count came out, every, uh, even though all that other stuff happened or whatever, I think on his ultra softs he could have caught up to Vettel and, and challenged him. Uh, anyway, since Vettel's tires uh, were uh, on such a long stint, yeah, sadly we'll uh, we'll never know how that could have uh, played out. And uh, you mentioned it there, the 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 rain, and I thought it was quite interesting because they they uh, we get the the Sky Sports feed up here in in Canada on TSN, and uh-huh. uh, just listening to Crofty and Brundle during the uh, during the broadcast, <laughs> kept talking about the rain coming and uh, the the spotters around the track and the radar and this and that. And then uh, even Raikkonen at one point said that he, he had uh, raindrops on his visor and mm-hmm. I can't even remember which uh, which corner it was. But here I am, I'm looking at the shots as they go around the, the, the circuits. Sure, you can see some dark clouds here and there, but you see the cars going into the pits and it definitely the way the weather came, it came out over one end of the circuit because of w- the other end by the stadium looked, <laughs> it looked quite sunny and uh, at least uh, bright enough that it didn't look like it was going to rain. But when it came, it was really kind of odd the way that it happened uh, the most of the rain started at the at the back side of the circuit at turn six which is that uh, w- which is the big hairpin at okay. the, the northeast corner of the track and that got a little bit slick and then we saw all sorts of weird things guys going in for inters guys going in for fresh sets of slicks guys going in for full wets and some guys staying out on the tracks and it sure made things interesting shall we say yeah Toro Rosa went in for full wets that was the stupidest thing you could ever do but you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just, you know, when you see it on the camera and it's coming down, it looked like it was coming down really, really hard. Yeah. But in reality, it probably was coming down at a medium, a medium clip. So, uh, you know, you could have to go by what your drivers say. And apparently some of the drivers were saying it was really wet and other drivers were saying, you know, well, I think we can, we could make it. Um, but it's just so interesting how, uh, Mercedes was like a cat. <laughs> when when the rain came, they stayed on their ultra ultra softs, and I mean that's taking a huge risk, but it paid off. Yeah, and I think that to to a certain extent, ever since uh, Austria a couple of weeks ago, I think that their tactics have been a little bit suspect. Over the past several years, I think they've had the the, the benefit of just having the best, the quickest car that that they would always have that gap. Basically, they'd have the luxury of being out front. So if they had to deal with a problem, you know, that if they had to to make an extra pit stop, that if Lewis Hamilton or Rosberg or Bottas or whoever's driving one of those cars would have that that distance, have that gap or that buffer between himself and the car behind them. But this year, just with the things being as tight and as unpredictable as they, they are, that it hasn't always worked out that way. I mean, Lewis obviously was very, very critical of the team, regardless of the, the double DNF in Austria a couple of weeks ago. He was just very critical of what uh, he saw it as a, or saw as a very flawed 
pit strategy that uh, dropped him down the race order and prevented him from from really uh from really challenging and again there were questions at the the British Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago as well that uh, there was uh, late in the race uh, the opportunity when they had the that double safety car after uh, you know the there were a couple of crashes there Ericsson and then right. you know they so <laughs> the, the they safety, elected not to pit that's that right, time, right yeah whereas the other teams did and we we know now that uh, we've known for some uh, some time that Red Bull is master of the double stack so it seems like every time there's a safety car that they'll find a way to get both of their guys in and out on fresh rubber under a safety car and it, it usually works but this time we did see a safety car during the Grand Prix and well that was all to do with the fact that Sebastian Vettel according to Nico Rosberg was pushing just a little bit too hard or harder than he needed to in those wet conditions and then put his car into the gravel trap and had then had a tantrum of epic proportions the way that he was banging the steering wheel and you know honestly I'd love to hear that uh, that race radio uh, but I mean that was I mean it was disappointing to see I mean joking aside I mean I've been saying for a while now that I don't really care who wins the uh, the, the world championship these days it's not as long as it's uh, Lewis Hamilton and no disrespect to, to Lewis but right. it would be nice to have a little bit of a variety so this year the Ferrari challenge looks more legit it looks more real than than in 2017 and so it, it was it was heartbreaking to, to see Sebastian go off like that and I mean I can understand completely why he was banging the steering wheel and uh, probably screaming uh, all sort of four-letter words into his helmet. Well, I can I can completely see. You know, everybody thinks that when people complain about Hamilton winning or Hamilton getting a, a good call when he should get penalized, it's not that we don't like Hamilton. I, I love Hamilton. It's not like we hate Hamilton. It's that we're bored. <laughs> we're <laughs> bored of seeing Mercedes and Hamilton win. Yeah, and I think that's maybe the 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 core issue. Uh, some people may hate Hamilton, and I don't know why. He's a good guy, but uh, I think it's just boredom. You know, most fans are bored of seeing. It was the same with Schumacher. Yep, we were bored of seeing Schumacher win all the time. Now to to Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, he was banging on a steering wheel. I can completely understand why he would be doing that. Yeah, I mean, this he's it's at his home race. He he took pole position, um, and the race was pretty much in his hands. Besides the tire strategy, it was in his hands. And um, and then the aftermath is kind of it kind of told us everything, right? When he got on the radio and he was talking to uh, his team, do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I do. And, you know, it, it really says a lot, but also the things that have kind of come out since the, uh, you know, the, since the race, you know, Seb was saying that, you know, that, you know, he's not going to, to sleep or he's not going to uh, lose, lose sleep, sleep. over, yeah. over that uh, German Grand Prix crash. But then he's also at the same, same time, he's regretting that, that one small mistake that he made. And it, it was very much kind of like uh, that Magnuson had uh, uh, during, or what was it, uh, during qualifying there. Same corner he did. But obviously it was it was dry, uh, and then K Mag he went into that corner with some understeer, got wide, went into the gravel. But uh, Vettel he was out front. All he really needed to do was keep his car on the track, and he was the one that really really needed to uh, to, to to manage the race. And unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Out of if you look at all the guys that uh, that didn't finish that race, I mean, well, two of them were the Williams, which is no real surprise. One was Fernando Alonso, which again 
isn't always a surprise. And then, of course, was uh, was Danny Ricardo. So out of uh, two of the the, the six top uh, drivers to see Sebastian Vettel and Ricardo go out, obviously Vettel going out under his own mistake rather than uh, than a, a mechanical failure really is uh, quite shocking. And then you see the the ramifications that it has now for the uh, for the world championship i mean he goes home with no points and he was enjoying a lead in the championship now and now lewis mm-hmm. has opened up uh, a bit of a gap not a huge one. 17 point lead 17 point lead which is it's not huge but it's big enough it gives him a, a bit of comfort so he's got a hundred pressure on vettel it does now it puts a, <laughs> a lot of pressure on, on vettel so that uh you know but i and I've, i was thinking to myself too earlier this year that I think that uh, the, I don't don't know if it's uh, too early or too premature to make this, but I can make the argument of uh, for, you know for Lewis winning the, the the world championship this year is just because he's more consistent than Vettel. I mean, just to just take to take uh, two examples uh, of uh, Vettel not getting it right this year was obviously this past weekend in Germany, and then also in uh, Azerbaijan at uh, you know a couple of months ago when they had that safety car at the end of the race, and then he tried oh. to. Jeez. Yeah, at the end of the 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 the, the start finish straight there, tried to outbreak himself and everybody else, and then just ended up one, running wide and then uh, dropping back and and dropping points in in that uh, in that situation. You don't see Lewis Hamilton making mistakes or, or doing things like that. I mean, it's, it's all I guess uh, one thing to be gun ho and you know all uh, glory or, or or nothing, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day. The, the entire season, I mean, with 21 races, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you got to uh, get points where you, you can you can get them. Because at the, the end of the day, uh, you know, we could be sitting here a couple of months from now at the end of November and looking, well, you know, well, Sebastian, he uh, he, he missed out on the uh, the world championship. He he was 20 points behind. Well, where did those 20 points, where did they get uh, get dropped? Well, let's take uh, the German Grand Prix in Azerbaijan just as uh, as two examples. And China, it says he's and China, eighth. Yeah. Yeah, well, that of course was uh, not really his fault. That was when he got uh, t-boned by uh, by Max Verstappen and then okay. and got uh, and dropped back uh, through the order. But so, I mean, that that's a little bit more his own uh, misfortune rather than say his miscalculation. Miscalculation, but, right? Yeah, it, it's very interesting. But I guess the that that was obviously one uh, big talking point in the race. And then also when the the, the safety car came out was and and this is the the one that's really uh, drawn uh, a bunch of. Uh, uh, criticism. Well, there's been two big talking points I've seen on social media since uh, the, the Grand Prix on Sunday. One is a lot of uh, a lot of anger. I wouldn't just say uh, disappointment with the the team orders between Ferrari and Mercedes. Um, right. So I've seen a lot of people, frankly angry <laughs> and, and very vocal about that but uh, a lot of uh, people equally frustrated uh, if not more frustrated the fact that uh, that Lewis going into the pits under the safety car was to, was waved off by the his team at the very last moment uh, he was already on the pit in the pit uh, entry and then uh, veered off went through the grass and back onto the track Kimi Raikkonen did something similar in Azerbaijan a couple of years ago uh, he was given a, a five second uh, penalty Lewis afterwards being summoned to the uh, to the uh, to the stewards, explained himself and was just uh, given a reprimand. He wasn't given a penalty uh, in any shape or form. And then uh, race director Charlie R- uh, Whiting was saying afterwards that that there was no real precedent for what uh, what Lewis did. And you know, honestly, I, I think that's a cop out by uh, by the FIA Me too. because I think you either you have rules 
and they're clear cut because he's saying, well, they didn't endanger anybody. They're already under a safety car. And I don't really care. I think you, you have one rule and it should be black and white. If there's too much leeway and too much of a gray area when it comes to the rule, I think the rule needs to be uh, rewritten because it, um, yeah, it's, it's one thing to be told to, to stay back out onto the track. But, you know, when you see, you know, they say, well, there isn't really a precedent, but something similar happened with, with Raikkonen a couple of years ago and we gave him a penalty then. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't like that. And regardless if it's Hamilton or anybody else on the, the, the grid, just just make a dang rule and stick to it well it was the, it was the very very last second you know i mean the wall was right there and he crossed right in front of the wall pit wall and uh you know race control can say that well it was under the under the uh the safety car well yeah, under the safety car you can still have people i mean you can still have drivers driving down the track or yeah. somebody coming behind the person that's going to the pit, what if they come, you know, try to get off the pit road at that time that causes uh, some safety issues. So I, I agree with you. If they could have, could have had a blanket rule or kept the, the rule uh, pure to what it said, the actual words, uh, I think that would have been more effective. So penalize the driver. Then afterwards, that's when you discuss it and say, okay, we need to change it. Not This seems to be like more of an executive order than it is uh, yeah. legislating the rule. Yeah, and it almost seems to a little bit to, well, we don't really have a rule for this, so let's just kind of go with uh, with something because you know, we, we don't want to upset Mercedes or Lewis Hamilton or whatever. It, it, to me, it just kind of felt like they're making something up on, on the fly. And, you know, oh, like yeah. I say, regardless what it is, I mean, if they, you know, if the there's, say, a five-second time penalty, for example, then uh, apply that uh, that five second penalty. So w- what would have happened in this case if they gave Lewis that five second penalty? He still gets t- uh, second place. He still gets eighteen points. He still uh, pulls out a gap on Sebastian Vettel. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. it would have been disappointing, but hey, you know if you break a rule, you break a rule. Um, but yeah, then his teammate wins uh, wins the race uh, instead. But. Yeah, I, I mean, when they have like the the rule in place at the other end of the pit lane, if you're coming back out after pit stop, and if you cross over that white line, then everybody knows what uh, what the ramifications uh, for that are. So, well, when a a fan like myself, like a lay fan like myself, yeah. looks at that and says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 something's wrong with that," <laughs> you would think that race control would be able to see the same type of thing. Um, it just seems so blatant. Yeah. Just, and why, why do you have to justify something? And I'm not quite sure why they did it. I, you know, we can conjecture and say maybe it was because they wanted, you know, the, the championship. He's part of the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the championship. He's running for P1 in the championship. So let's not ruin this. I guess we could think that way. Um, but I don't know. It just seems a little suspect, doesn't it? Yeah, it's 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 very easy, Josh, at this point to pull out the tin foil and start uh, coming up with conspiracy <laughs> theories in, in one way or another why they did or why they didn't and what the the, the motivations uh, you know could have been for for either case. But it uh, definitely would have made the uh, the championship a, a little bit uh, tighter, obviously. Uh, but you know, it's it's just but not uh, by much, not by much. I mean, and of course now it's it's all you know hindsight is twenty uh, twenty, so it is uh, one of well, those things that. One- not to beat a head dead horse, but I'm going to beat a dead horse. Um, this the, the, another reason why it seems so weird is because Raikkonen was dinged with a five second penalty, right? Yep, that's correct. Right before that, and uh, then uh, Hamilton 
gets a reprimand uh, for hissing, and the justification, as you said, was because it was during the uh, the safety this under the safety car. So that's another reason why it became so confusing. Is like, wait a second, you just did this. It's almost like you set a precedent with Raikkonen's uh, penalty, mm-hmm. and then you then you turn around and you change it for somebody else. That's you know, which is Hamilton, which is why some people don't like it is because it's Hamilton. For me, it's just because it just seemed weird that they had just given Raikkonen a penalty and then they turned around and didn't give one to Lewis Hamilton. So anyhow, we can, we can end on that. <laughs> yeah, I know it, but it, it's kind of fascinating now because if you look at the way that the, the championship is, uh, is, uh, is uh, shaping up, I mean, not only is uh, Lewis back on top in the drivers, but if you look at the, uh, the constructors, then, uh, you know, they get, uh, the, the, the one, two finish. And now, uh, they, they've, uh, gone back into the lead with 310 points compared to 302 for Ferrari. I mean, still, we're only at the halfway point in the season and uh, let's face it. I mean, we're going to hungry this weekend and this is the race where there's only two things that really matter. One is where you qualify and if you don't qualify on pole, you're basically screwed. And <laughs> and if you don't qualify on pole, then it matters how close you are to the guy that did qualify on pole and hope that in the the pit stop, the undercut or the overcut works and you can gain track position through your through your pit stop because it may be out in the countryside, but it's often been referred to as a uh, you know a, a very similar track to Monaco and uh well, the drivers were very critical of uh, Monaco this year and we haven't really seen too many classic races at Hungary over the years. I mean, it's not usually very many uh, overtaking opportunities. So we'll, we'll see. But well, we, we well, well, two thousand. Looking at two thousand seventeen Hungary. Um, guess who the, the the top two were? Well, that was right because uh, last year it was uh, Vettel who won the race, but he had that right. uh, that steering issue, and just the right. way that the track is, that he was able basically just to to park himself at the front of the race order, and basically frustrated everybody else behind him. I can't remember off the top of my head what what the gap between Vettel and the the top four cars was, uh, because I think it was what wasn't it was it was Vettel and then Raikkonen and then was was it Hamilton and Bottas? I, I can't remember off the top. Of right, my head, no, but the think, interval between yeah. It was uh, it was only a second between Raikkonen and Vettel, and then it was eleven seconds between Botas and Raikkonen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was something at the end of the race where one of them really, uh, uh, really, really dropped off uh, at the end. But uh, there, there was one point uh, right when uh, sort of the the thick of the race and the heat of the battle that uh, I think that the uh, that the race order was uh, was much uh, much closer. All right. Well, uh, Josh, uh, l- let's move away now from uh, from the German Grand Prix and all the, uh, the the controversy there. And just in the the time that we have uh, remaining, let's let's talk about some of the news that's out there. Obviously, the big news that uh, that came out uh, prior to the Grand Prix was uh, Lewis Hamilton's uh, new two-year deal with uh, Mercedes. And th- I think that's obviously the deal that everybody was uh, waiting for. I think that uh, now that we, we, we've we seen that, obviously, uh, then uh, Botas was given a new one-in-one contract uh, for, for 2019 and then a team option for, for 2020. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo is rumored to be signing a, uh, a or be announced as uh, signing a new contract with Red Bull Racing before the summer break after the the, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix this week. And then I think that's uh, basically, I think that was basically it. I think that as time went on, even though things were up in the air as, uh, as it took 
you know the the time to get Hamilton's deal sorted and announced. I think that uh, was really the key to it all. But it just as it seemed every week that it kind of dragged on, it seemed less likely that uh, that there would be any other. I think realistic opportunity to join another contender for Ricardo other than than Red Bull. So I mean, obviously we're going to see him there. But I think the thing that was really interesting was how Lewis really dropped a hint that another team made a serious offer to him. Of course, he didn't say who it is, but I'd be interested to know who it was and what what sort of offer they they would have made him because the the money that Lewis has been uh, been uh, or is going to make in the next two years is compared to Neymar money and people that follow world soccer knows that he's one of the highest guide pays in paid in world soccer so lewis is uh making bank as they say well i but, think we know he's making more than lebron <laughs> so that's saying something yeah that that is saying something but uh well, yeah got, go ahead yeah um no i think you know i think yeah, that was expected um uh but one thing that uh has come up lately and i'm, I'm not sure if you're going to be going into this but uh uh, and these are rumors. I don't know if you do rumors here, but oh, we love uh, rumors. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the, the rumor is is that uh, Stroll bought Force India or whatever, and we don't know if he bought it outright or if he bought it. You know, he he uh, uh, got a portion of it. But uh, the rumors of Lance Stroll going to Force India before that were also kind of rampant. I didn't yep. understand that, but now I understand it a lot more if Lawrence Stroll is involved. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that uh, if uh, if Daddy Stroll is buying the team, and uh, it, it just makes sense because uh, the the story that I was hearing uh, just uh, looking uh, re- you know researching uh, for the show last week is I think that uh, Sergey Sorotkin is bringing something like fifteen million euros of sponsorship Jeez. to Williams each okay. and every year, basically that he has a, a contract with uh, with the team and Lance now in his second year with uh, with Williams I think basically the way that it was arranged that the the money that he was bringing or that 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 his backers were contributing was sort of on a decreasing scale each and every year so okay. you know if they have if that indeed indeed is uh, the case and you know if uh, if Lawrence has the money to uh, to to buy the team itself I mean it makes uh, perfect sense and like we were saying at the top of the show I mean that team obviously needs something and and maybe a, a new owner and obviously I mean the Strolls are a racing family. They're they're very motivated. I mean, a lot of people, and I think a little bit unfairly to a certain degree, you know, sort of paint Lance as the uh, you know the, the spoiled rich kid that you know whose daddy bought him an F two team and then you know possibly a <laughs> Formula One team. But I mean, he's ha- he has been in a Williams the past two years, and how good his talent actually is, we won't really know because I mean the Williams wasn't that great last year, and it's a hell of a lot worse this year. Well, so he had I'm seven. Last year he had seven tires. Stroll had seven top tens and a and a podium within those seven top tens. And I'm not. I'm, not, I'm thinking that's a pretty good uh, rookie year. Yeah, for a guy that was what 19 last year, whatever he was. So I think he was 18 last year. He's 19 now. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I'm getting. I'm getting started to lose track about all, all these uh, the, these young, really young guys that are racing in in, in Formula One. But it is kind of getting uh, dis- <laughs> uh, discombobulated, isn't it? I know. Um, con- considering if you take two of them and add their their ages together, I'm still older older than them. So that's depressing. But hey, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just uh, talking about other uh, rumors that that are out there. I mean, the the big the big names that were there were obviously Hamilton, Botas, and then the uh, the imminent announcement that seems is going to break at any time that Ricardo is going to resign with the, with Red Bull. But the one that I find really interesting is Carlos Sainz, who's obviously Red Bull driver yeah. in a Renault, saying that he wants his next 
F1 contract to be a two-year deal. Okay, Carlos, yeah. that's great, but where? But where and have you done enough to show that you're worth that? Well, exactly. That's that's a great point. I mean, the the only real option that I see for him as a as a Red Bull driver is uh, to go back to to Toro Rosso, if that is even uh, an option right now, because obviously with the the dissolution of the the Renault Red Bull partnership and the way that really unraveled, and I mean even before Red Bull officially said no, I mean uh, Renault said that they didn't want to, but or supply them with the engines for for 2019 and 2020, but just that rule that uh, that uh, that Formula One has that if uh, even though they didn't want to and the deal was up, if Red Bull still wanted the, them to supply engines, they were were bound by the uh, by the rules to, to do so. But now that it's officially over and Red Bull is officially partnered with Honda for next year, they have no reason to keep <laughs> you know a Red Bull driver in their car, considering it was just kind of a lone kind of a temporary situation to begin with. And even though Brendan Hartley in the other Toro Rosso has not really impressed all that much is there i mean there have been other names mentioned out there other younger red bull drivers so i don't really know if there's anywhere for carlos Sainz to go really well i i think uh toro rosa would be as good as any other team to go to uh, they are kind of on the right you know a little bit on the rise they haven't been doing so well lately but uh, i think it would be a good fit he has also been uh connected with mclaren they I, they may have talked to him about that, um, and I think that would be a great fit as well. But at the same time, I don't know. He's he's kind of in a midfield uh, racer. He's not um, uh, what is it calling? He's not out performing Ocon. Which if he were, let's see here, Ocon, right? No, no, no. That's Perez. Sorry, <laughs> uh, we're talking about uh, Renault. He's not uh, out performing Hulkenberg. So. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Like, like I say, the only other maybe move I could see, other than uh, than uh, uh, to um, uh, sorry, back to Toro Rosso, would be with one of those other midfield teams, and, and Force India would be one uh, possibility. But that team seems to be in a bit of a. I don't know, an unknown area at the moment. Uh, It it seems like something's going to happen. Uh, Then the other one would be Sauber. But I I think that as long as Marcus Erickson has money, I think that he's going to get a seat there. And I mean, he seems, yeah, I I could be wrong on that one. I just, uh, he he seems just to keep showing up each and every year. (laughs) So unless something changes, I just expect to see Marcus Erickson in Formula One in Sauber next year for basically because it's become the default setting <laughs> to, to put it bluntly and so then of course we don't know what's happening with uh, with Charles Leclerc i mean uh, Vasseur, the the team principal there said that uh, Raikkonen would be uh, an interesting fit for Sauber but i mean if they were to say switch Kimi from 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 Ferrari and Leclerc get a seat there i don't know at 38 years old whether uh, Raikkonen would want to go uh, to a team like Sauber i i mean maybe they do get things turned around maybe they will get it to you know produce that car that could get them uh, to be the best of the rest in the fourth in the world championship and certainly a guy with the experience like Kimi Raikkonen would be an yeah. asset whether or not he would actually want to do that that's uh, that's another question Renault seems to be well I think that uh, Hulkenberg has a contract to the end of next year and it seems that uh, it seems to be like almost a, I wouldn't say an open secret but I would say at least uh, the expectation at this point is that uh, that Ocon is probably going to get uh, mm-hmm. get that second seat and it, you could see the reason why I mean talent 
young French guy and an up and coming French team trying to reestablish themselves. So exactly, yeah. They just uh, when when the music stops, I just don't know if there's going to be a chair for <laughs> for Carlos Sainz to sit down <laughs> on when it's all all said and done. Well, there is a need in uh, in the pet. I mean, there is a need on the grid for drivers. I don't know if uh, you know Norris is coming in. Uh, Russell may be coming in. Uh, who else? Who knows who else is coming in, uh, who has money? But um, I in in Sauber, I you know, if they're talking about Raikkonen going to Sauber, okay, let's put him in there. If we did put him in there, I don't know about Ericsson. I have Giovinazzi as the second uh, as their yep. other driver. Is it going to be Ericsson Giovinazzi or is it going to be Raikkonen Giovinazzi? And I have the same question: yep. Is Raikkonen really want going to want to take that ride? Exactly. And uh, interesting that you should mention that because I believe Gio- uh, Giovinazzi is going to get a test there at the uh, the test session that they always hold after Hungary each and, uh, and, uh, and every year. So Josh, we're just about out of time here. Before we go, uh, we just want to make one more, uh, mention one more piece of news, and that is uh, Sergio Marchionne has left his role as uh, Fiat and Ferrari CEO with immediate effect as unexpected complications from surgery have left him uh, unable to return to work. So obviously, uh, you know, you don't like to hear somebody having to uh, leave their job, especially something like that as a result of uh, ill health. So we hope uh, certainly that uh, he gets back to uh, recover sooner rather than later. And then finally, before we go, I just want to give a quick shout out to the the new Twitter followers here. And that is uh, on our Twitter account. And that is at Scuderia F1 pod. And that uh, a big shout out to Hillary Go, Pitlane F1, Aaron, Kayalo, and uh, Dan Eversole. And again, uh, Josh, thanks so much for for coming to hang out uh, tonight. And uh, before you go, just remind everybody where they can find you on social media uh, media and chime in or join into whatever you're discussing. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mayor of Shimtown. That's Mayor of S-H-I-M-I-T-O-W-N. Very cool. And like I said, you can follow this podcast at Scuderia F1 Pod. And of course, uh, we'd love it if you would lie and leave us a five-star review and a nice rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever, whichever platform you use to download and listen to the show. Anyways, that is a wrap for now. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, SportsPodcastingNetwork.com. space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? 
Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?